Welcome to the Grow with Grace podcast. My name is Cindy Van Cleve, the creator and host, and today I'm joined with the recently retired Area 11 president, president from the Flatona FFA chapter, Laura Beth James. She stands on a firm foundation of faith, agriculture, and the Texas FFA. Despite the hardship she's experienced in the past, Laura is a picture of perseverance and strength. I'm so excited to chat with her and hear her story. So, Laura Beth, I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Sydney. I am very excited for this. Um, so, I'm 17 years old. I recently graduated from Flatonia, as you said. Um, I live on a small farm outside of Schulenburg, Texas, and my family and I raise beef cattle. So, I have grown up watching my three older siblings uh, raise and show their own cattle. And then when I was old enough, I started showing as well. So I've kind of grown up in the cattle industry and I've been uh, exposed to it firsthand for a very long time. When I got into high school, I became involved uh, in public speaking events through FFA as well as uh, judging contests. And I joined the 4-H Livestock Ambassador Program, which was a huge, huge opportunity for me. Um, I'm still involved in it today and I love being able to mentor the younger ambassadors uh, through their experiences. Uh, so outside of agriculture, which is pretty much takes up all of my time, um, I love reading books and gardening and cooking for my family. Um, so I get called a grandma a lot and I'm okay with that. I have some very old fashioned hobbies, uh, but they bring me a lot of peace and happiness. Um, so yeah. Well, I love getting to know a little bit about you before we hop into the agriculture aspect of your life. <laughs> and I'll Absolutely. Be my friends call me the mom and grandma and I'm always <laughs> reading a book and I'm just like, sometimes it's like, are you kidding me? Stop calling me a grandma. <laughs> it's your hobbies. It's what you love to do. So, right. Yeah. And so you've mentioned a little bit of it, but what was your agriculture and FFA journey like? So, like I said, I grew up in the industry. Um, I always had really great ag teachers around me and 4-H extension agents. Um, and so I actually moved uh, from a small private school here in Schulenburg to Flatonia in the seventh grade. Uh, so that's really where I had my first experience with having my own ag teachers. Uh, so I joined junior FFA in Flatonia. My older sister had moved there as well. So we went to a lot of judging contests together and I got a lot, a lot of uh, speaking practices and sessions even before I was able to compete in high school. So once I did get into high school, um, I started with creed speaking, uh, chapter conducting, extemporaneous speaking, uh, livestock judging, and nursery judging. So they kept me busy, uh, but I loved it. So I started getting rolling with all of that. I have the best ag teachers who have just been my biggest supporters through everything. Uh, they push me to do things that I don't want to do, and then I end up loving it. Uh, for, like for nursery judging, they first brought that up to me at the end of my eighth grade year. And I was like, yeah, no way. I do not mess with plants. I am a cattle girl. I'll just stay on my side of the fence. And they were like, no, we really think you need to do this. Um, and now it's one of my favorite events. I absolutely love it. Um, so just little things like that have really built up over the years. Um, when I was a sophomore, they encouraged me to run for district office. Uh, it was actually a virtual election because of COVID. Uh, and I was elected first vice president of the Horizon District. And throughout that year, we didn't get to do much in-person things. Um, actually, the first time I met my team was at our um, Horizon District convention at the end of the year. So that was a little bit of a weird year. And then I ran for area office that year um, and was elected area president. So that was obviously just a huge, huge deal in my life uh, to have this responsibility and the honor of serving our area members. Um, and it's one that I will always count as one of my biggest blessings. Um, so I've really been blessed by those around me who have shown up for me and supported me through everything. I wholeheartedly agree. Like for me, my ag teachers have been the reason why I'm even like talking to you right now through a podcast is because when I was a freshman, that was my COVID year. And I always forget that there's people older than me. And like, you know <laughs> I mean, like you had to do your yeah. virtual, but my district officer election was the next year. And our only like really thing was we had to wear masks. And so like thinking about the differences in that, but as a freshman, I sat in the audience like, oh my gosh, never going to be me. I can never do anything like that. And I got home and my mom was like, no, if you get the chance, just go for it. And then I got the chance my sophomore year. And I feel like these moments where we're, what's the word, like kind of nagged at by our ag teachers where it's like, mm -hmm. oh, are you kidding me? I don't want to do this. But it ends up being, like you said, one of the biggest blessings of 
our life because I know I'll always look back on these moments on this is where I've experienced so much growth and I can't remember who said it but they said the Texas FFA didn't make me who I am but it gave me a place to become to like grow into that person who I'll one day be so I love what you said about absolutely like just how much of a blessing we this organization is to us and so I did find a smart you didn't meet your officer team until that convention at the end of the year yes for my district year yeah, it was crazy. And I, I knew a few of them from other FFA events. Uh, so we kept in contact throughout the year and we host, hosted some uh, virtual things and were active on social media. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a downer because we didn't really get to do much. And that was kind of my first real taste of leadership outside of the chapter level in FFA. Um, but I, once we met at a, or a district convention, it was great. Like we all clicked immediately. Um, and it made me regret that we didn't get to do more things throughout the year. But once again, I know all of that was for a reason and uh, for reasons we didn't know and we couldn't know. So, um, yeah, it was, it was all good at the end. Well, I'm glad everything worked out. So continuing on that track of FFA, what was your time like as Area 11 president? My time as Area 11 president, like, honestly, I'm still processing it because it was just so full of the most um, incredible moments that I really just love to sit and meditate on because it's hard to realize in the moment just how special that moment turns out to be in the end. Um, going to SLC, the eight-hour van ride with the rest of my team, um, that was something I will never forget. That's when we all really bonded and got to know one another. Uh, we had so much fun. And then at SLC, meeting all of the other area officers uh, getting to know their backgrounds, where they come from, uh, why they ran for area office uh, was just amazing. And then it got even better from there, getting to meet members and hear their stories, hear what they struggled with, um, and learn how I can make myself a better person to help them. That was just incredible. And that's a year that I will always count as just one of the best ever. Is there like a special moment, like significant moment that really sticks out from, sticks out to you from that year of service? Uh, so there were quite a few moments that will always remain with me. Uh, one of my favorites was, it kind of um, reinforces, I guess, my philosophy of uh, leading by listening, because I firmly believe that to be the best leaders we can possibly be, we have to listen before we do anything else. Uh, the best leaders are not the loudest ones or the boldest ones in the room, which is something that I personally used to struggle with. Um, I was bad about comparing myself to others, other area officers, others on my team, and uh, measuring my way of leading uh, up to theirs. Um, but I soon realized that everyone has a different style of leading. Uh, none are better than the other. It's just, it kind of plays to your strengths and weaknesses as an individual and to the gifts that God gave you. Um, and so at that point, it was, this was at our area green hand camp. I think it was in September. And I'd, around that time, I was kind of embracing this whole concept of leading by listening. Um, and I met a green hand uh, at lunch. I had sat down to him and we started talking and he was telling me about how he'd always wanted to show a hog, uh, but he didn't have the facilities. His family didn't have the money. He had showed, I think, chickens or rabbits the previous year and he liked it and he wanted to show a hog next year. Um, and so I started talking with him about different ag teachers that I knew uh, that were great about working with swine and different people who get in touch with uh, different breeders that I knew of just through uh, cattle people. Um, and so when we left that day, he was super excited and hopeful. He was like, yeah, this is great. Maybe I can actually make this dream reality. Um, and then he reached out to me a few months later on Instagram and sent me a picture of his two hogs that he had gotten. And that moment was just incredible because just the fact that he had gotten to achieve that dream, that is what FFA is about. Um, especially for kids that don't think they'll ever have that opportunity, just proving to them that you have it in you to achieve that dream. Um, and then a few months later, after, after that, uh, after their local show, he sent me a picture of the ribbons he had won with his hogs. Um, and so it was just, it really came full circle and it was really, really cool for me to see that. That's such a precious moment. Like I can't, I can't imagine like what's your heart must have been feeling like so much joy because I believe like we all have the power to impact others, but we don't always see that impact. And I'm, I love that you got to see that impact because I can just tell like through this short conversation we've had so far that you have a good heart. And I, oh <laughs> gosh, I, that story really is like, wow. Like we have the ability to 
do things even like you said just by listening to other people so I'm really glad yeah absolutely that's so special I'm so like glad that you were able to experience that (laughs) thank you (laughs) so tell me a little bit about SB 801 which is currently active in Texas legislature in Texas legislature and you've had a very big role in that bill is that what it is bill it's a law now yes uh yeah sometimes I still slip up and refer to it as a bill and I forget that it it is a law um which is crazy to think about so um it was actually after I attended the Texas 4-H livestock ambassador course that was in June of 2020 so the fact that we even got to go to this event was monumental because at this time everybody was shutting down um they I think they basically basically had to beg West Texas to still let us come because there wasn't really any other university that would let us use their facilities uh, to learn during the short course. Uh, so we ended up going, we had to wear masks the whole time, which wasn't fun, uh, but we still learned so, so much. And so we got to hear from a lot of different speakers during the short course. Um, and it was really, it was focused on kind of um, both sides of agriculture, not just the production and processing side, but also the policy and advocacy side. And that side really spoke to me because I had, hadn't had really had any education on ag policy or ag advocacy. Um, and it kind of struck me that I could use uh, the gifts that I believe God has given me for writing and speaking and com- communicating and connecting with others uh, to advocate for the industry that I love. Um, and so actually on the way home from the short course, I was kind of bouncing ideas off on my dad um, cause it was like an eight hour drive. Um, and we were talking the whole way just about how, as our, uh, society has grown more urban, uh, we've kind of shifted away from the agriculture lifestyle and the majority of consumers have no idea where their food comes from. Um, and so we kind of started asking the question of, well, how do we solve this issue of, uh, misinformation circulating about the agriculture industry and how do we, how do we solve this agriculture illiteracy? Um, And we kind of came up with this idea that agriculture education in schools was the answer. Uh, So that night when I got home, I sat down and I conducted about a four page email uh, explaining who I was, where I was from, my passions, my hobbies, um, my history in agriculture, and why I believe that agriculture education should be mandatory in our schools in Texas. Um, And so at that time, I had zero idea how the legislative process worked, Um, like zero idea. So I looked up every name on the House and Senate committees for education and agriculture. And it came out to a total of like 60 or 70. Um, And I threw a few extra names on the list. I think I emailed um, the United States Commissioner of of Agriculture and the Texas Commissioner of Agriculture. Um, And so I sent this email uh, to all these people and I heard back from probably four or five, which was super disheartening at first until I realized that it's really only the job of the senator and, or representatives in your district. Uh, they're the ones that are first responsible for answering your concerns. And then if they don't, then that's kind of when you take it to other senators and representatives outside your district. Uh, so one of the ones that I heard back from was Senator Lowe's who is the senator uh, from my district, Senate District 18. Um, and she was very interested in this idea. And so she's kinda, she kind of started communicating with me about it. Uh, they started developing legislation on this idea through that fall. That was fall of 2020. Um, and then in January, she filed Senate Bill 801 relating to the development of agriculture education programs in elementary schools in Texas. And so after that, um, I had the, the tab pulled up on my phone at all times. It was at, uh, the, it tracked the status of each bill that was going through the legislature at that time. And so I had it on that page and I would check it every single day. Uh, to see what was going on with it. And uh, Senator Colcourse aide was very good about keeping me informed about the process of the bill or progress of the bill. Um, and so then in April, I had the opportunity to testify before the Senate Education Committee on behalf of the bill, uh, which was an incredible experience. It was very intimidating um, because the way the room is set up, it was like one chair in the middle of the room and then chairs for kind of the guest members behind that. And then in front of you, um, like super high up or all the senators. Um, and so you're kind of talking up to them. Uh, and so I had my little spiel ready. It was about a minute long and I gave that. Um, and then they asked a few questions. Uh, they're all super nice. Um, and then in May, uh, Governor Abbott signed this bill into law. 
So it is now law in the state of Texas that the TEA develop a curriculum on agriculture education for elementary schools to use if they want to. Um, so what I was kind of pushing for was getting it made mandatory in schools, uh, which that would have created a lot more pushback from all sorts of people uh, who didn't really see this idea um, bringing a lot of positives, uh, which I understand there's a huge funding issue. Uh, there's the lack of teachers, um, the lack of textbooks for this. So there are a lot of problems with making it mandatory, but that's something that I'm absolutely still working towards. Uh, so at least we've we got a foot in the door. So we have the curriculum being made. Um, so as of the, for the process of, or the, yeah, the progress of the bill right now. So I heard from Senator Cole Corse's aide uh, about a month ago and she said that they were just now starting to develop the curriculum for the bill. Um, so they had to hire apparently like two or three new people to help uh, draft this curriculum. Uh, so they're working on that currently. They're working with the USDA and using some of their resources um, to create the curriculum. Um, and so it, it's a little bit of a slow process, but I'm hoping uh, they'll get it done in the next few months or so maybe. Um, and we can institute some pilot programs either this fall or next fall to see how it works in schools. Um, so it's just been, it's been so cool to see how that process works. So like I said, I had no idea before I started and now I'm just like, I'm so invested in it. And I love learning more about other bills relating to agriculture that are passing through the legislature. So above all, it was just really an eye-opening experience. That's like crazy. So I'm, I'm trying to like organize it all into my brain. Yeah. I think that's so incredible. Like how just a few like simple emails which I don't know what they look like, but you know what I mean? On yeah. what you were passionate about was able to go into so much. And so what I was wondering was, are you continuing, are you able to be active in this process still? So that's what we're kind of working towards. Um, Senator Cole Corse's aide told me that she was hoping to uh, kind of make a Zoom call with me and members of the USDA and the members of the TEA who were working on the curriculum. Uh, so that I could kind of voice my ideas and uh, uh, my vision for what this curriculum would look like. Um, and so I think we're still kind of trying to get that date set. Um, and hopefully for the next legislative session, I'll be able to work uh, with Senator Colcourst to get it made um, mandatory if possible, or at least um, get pilot programs started. Because I, I believe in Georgia, where this, uh, my kind of inspiration for this idea came from, they had a bill that uh, specified that they wanted pilot programs created and then they wanted it made mandatory after that. Um, so it's a very long process, um, but I do believe it can be done. So yes, I'm still very actively tracking uh, the status of the bill or the law, sorry, <laughs> and hoping that we can get uh, some progress made. Wow, that's so cool. And so what exactly does ag policy mean for like farmers, ranchers, agricultural professionals and education? Like, what is its importance? Because I feel like we hear the word a lot, but to be honest, I've never really known, like, what is ag policy? So I absolutely believe that the future of agriculture in many ways lies on the ag policy side of things, uh, which is not something that I realized for the longest time. And I absolutely believe that we do need more uh, innovative technologies and things in the production side. Because obviously, if we're not producing food, then there's no use in fighting for it in the legislature. Um, but I think we have we have so many capable people working on the production side, the top of the line scientists, researchers, engineers, architects, who are just putting all of their work into developing the production side. Um, but I do feel like the policy side has been a little bit overlooked for some time. Uh, last summer, I was on a 4-H trip to the East Coast and we were in Georgia and I had the opportunity to meet um, a representative from Georgia. And he had grown up in the agriculture industry, uh, but he told me that when we were talking about the bill and agriculture education and all of that, and he told me that I believe he is the only representative in the whole state of Georgia, or one of the only ones that has any firsthand experience with agriculture. So the members who are chairing and sitting on the agriculture committees in Georgia have never set foot on a farmer ranch. And they're the ones deciding what our farmers and ranchers have to abide by um, and what kind of policies they'll have to work with. And that's just terrifying in my opinion, because I mean, it's not their fault. They haven't grown up in the industry, 
but I don't feel like we can expect them to make the right decisions for agriculture when they've never had the chance to learn about it in a firsthand way. Um, and so I'm really passionate about getting our younger generation of agriculturists involved in the policy side. Obviously, yes, the production side too. We need our farmers and ranchers more than ever, but we also need people on the other side of the aisle fighting for them in the legislature, not just at the state level, but also at the national level, because that's where a lot of the difference is made. And that's where we need these creative minds and these strong voices to really get out and voice their opinions um, and lobby for our industry uh, so that our farmers and ranchers can continue to be productive and uh, make food for our country in ways that they best know how to. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. For me, I never really got that firsthand experience in ag until I was in high school and I didn't want to even take principles because I didn't want to be involved with animals. I didn't want to have to deal with going to the barn every single day. And I'll mm -hmm. be honest, a part of me is still like that. I'm taking like my first, what I consider like my real ag classes, like livestock production and vet med next year for my senior year. But I'm still like, I don't want to go to the barn and have to apply all this. But I'm also like, if I want to be like an informed consumer, if I want to know like where my food comes from and truly like expand because I love the agriculture industry and I love the opportunities that it has for people and I also believe that there is so much understanding that needs to be done on like the consumer side of things and so that's why I'm like pushing myself to like take these real ag classes because those are important in helping others know because I feel like like what I do with this podcast is try to also expand my knowledge because I feel like I can't talk about it if I don't know anything about it. So I love that you explained that to me. In Ag Literacy, our chapter every February for National FFA Week, we go and we read agriculturally related books to our younger students at the primary school. And they may be something as simple as Biscuit Goes to the Farm or This Year. It was this really long book about explaining every aspect, aspect of where you're school lunchbox of where your school lunch came from and like even those little things like you could see the little gears in the first graders minds turning mm -hmm. like, oh, like does chocolate milk come from a brown cow and then you have the opportunity to explain no it doesn't and even like as simple as our petting zoos that we put on or there's a dairy truck that travels around east texas like these are opportunities for us to educate them at a young age and i'm so grateful that you're taking steps in the, what's the word, like legal process on getting this, mm -hmm. like shown on how important it is for, because I wish I had that opportunity when I was younger to learn about the agriculture industry. I feel like my only, <laughs> my only like true touch with ag was when I was scared to go touch the cow or picking, <laughs> picking cotton at my grandpa, at my grandpa's farm. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm glad that we're taking steps to make sure that our younger students and our next generations have these opportunities that maybe you and I didn't have unless it was involved in our family. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you said that about just engaging the younger generation um, and just how, and even how you said that, like, not all of us are going to love the production side. I'll be honest, that's not where my biggest passion is either. Obviously, I love the family tradition. I'm an eighth generation cattle rancher. So uh, this is, it's in my blood and I love it. There's nothing I love more than working cows with my dad on a Saturday morning or going to the barn. Um, but it's not something that I see myself doing all the time. And that's what I struggled with for a while. Cause I thought, you know, if I, if I can't be in the production side of agriculture, then can I even be in agriculture at all? Uh, and I realized quickly that I can be, and I can use, uh, the strengths that I have to be even more of an asset for the agriculture community, uh, more so than I would be raising a small herd of cattle. Um, and then back to what you said about just engaging the younger kids, that is, I think, the most important thing we can do, um, and especially the ones who haven't been able to grow up in the industry, and even the older older generations who haven't grown up in the industry. I think in agriculture, sometimes um, we're kind of bad about being a little closed-minded and closing our doors a little bit, um, and kind of having this notion that we're a very prestige, special place, which we are. We are a very special place. Uh, but when we open our doors and open our arms and allow these people in that haven't grown up in the industry, that makes them feel a connection to agriculture, even if it's growing a, tom a tomato plant on their window seal, 
or I don't know, having a goat in the backyard, anything like that, that lets them feel like they are a part of agriculture. And when they feel like they're a part of it, they're more likely to fight for it. And they're more likely to become advocates for it. And that's what we need. We need all the advocates we can get. We don't need to pick, like be able to pick and choose anymore and just kind of choose the kids from our industry that have grown up in it uh, to advocate for us. We need all the advocates we can get. And so I think it's so, so important to open our doors and let everyone in and let them feel like they are a part of the industry. Yes, like advocacy for me is so important. And sorry, one second. A tidbit about like what I want to do is I've always loved communications, like the idea of working with media, getting to be the person who shares information with people. Like when I was younger, it was, oh my, one second. You did. I'll be cutting that part out. Um, <laughs> it was just like when I was younger, it's like, oh, I want to share about like current events that are going on in our country. I want to be a, a someone who tells the truth. And so when I got into my leadership class, I learned that there was agricultural communications. And now that's what I want to do. And I'm just so excited for the day when I graduate like college and I have this opportunity to share agriculture with other people and be that person who shares the truth when I believe we are so filled with so much information, whether it's in agriculture, whether it's in culture, like there's so much, so many lies that are being told. And that's one of my big things is let's start telling the truth. And so I'm glad that you're highlighting this need for advocacy and literacy. And I think it's something that we need to see in all aspects of our culture, especially where we're in. If everyone has so many different ideas, but it's like, Let's go back to the truth and like take it back to our roots. And I think that's what mm-hmm. we need to say. Like we live in a society of impossible burgers. Let's show you like the burgers that you actually should be eating. And just absolutely. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so all right. So you just graduated high school. What are your plans now? Like for college and then have your experiences and FFA and 4-H played a role in them? So I will be attending Texas A&M University in the fall uh, to study agriculture economics with a focus in policy and lawmaking. Um, And so I actually didn't decide on A&M until probably March maybe. Um, And I had applied to a few out-of-state universities uh, that I was pretty seriously considering. Uh, There's a, a college called uh, Hillsdale in Michigan. Um, And it's this whole idea of free thinking, constitutional based uh, religious university. Um, And a lot of their graduates go into public law or like a public service position, uh, which is what I see myself doing one day. uh, And kind of maybe kind of sort of not not exactly, but kind of. Um, But then I decided that the agriculture industry has been so good to me. And this is where my people are. And I don't wanna leave that right now. Um, and so I decided that I wanna get a even more of a solid foundation in agriculture with an ag economics degree, uh, which will set me up uh, for a lot of internships in Austin or DC uh, or with lawyers who, spe- who specialize in ag, uh, which is also something I'm interested in. Um, so I'm really just kind of letting it play by ear. Um, I may end up switching majors, I don't know. Uh, I'm not very good at math, which I've heard is kind of a staple of an economics degree. Um, so if not that, then maybe something with writing. I, I love writing. That's another thing I do as a hobby. Um, so just something where I can really express myself, uh, through my words and, um, just advocate for the industry that I love and, uh, keep my mind turning because I don't, I don't, I want to be like, like a lifelong learner. I don't want to let my mind go stagnant. I want to surround myself with people, uh, who are creative thinkers and push me to be a better version of myself. So, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to finding my community in college um, and just immersing myself even further in agriculture. Well, I'm very excited for you. I know you're going to be great no matter where you end up going or what you're <laughs> doing. I think yeah. you'll find what's good for you. And so Thank let's you. shift the conversation a little bit. Laura, you've, Laura Beth, <laughs> you've been a part of so many incredible opportunities and have made impressive accomplishments. Throughout all this, though, you've experienced some medical problem, medical problems that were very tough. Can you explain this situation and like what it meant for you? Absolutely. Um, so I love telling the story because uh, to me, it is just such a testament 
of God's grace and his love and his plan for everyone. So the end of my freshman year of high school, um, I started getting sick um, and it was, it started very slowly at first. Um, I would kind of lose my appetite for a few days or not feel great after I ate something. Um, and then kind of pro progressed to the point where it was happening every day. Um, I started losing weight. I couldn't eat solid food anymore. Um, and whatever I did eat, um, it just didn't sit very well. So we went to see a GI doctor in San Antonio in July. That was 2019, I believe. And um, she ran all the basic tests. Uh, everything came back looking okay. Um, I had a few scans of my gallbladder that came back abnormal. So I had my gallbladder and appendix removed in September of 2019. And then after that, things improved for a little while um, and then went downhill again. By that time, I was on a completely liquid diet. Um, so I was drinking Boost and Ensure shakes, uh, like five or six of them a day to get my nutrition in. Um, and they tasted awful. It was, it was not good at all. Um, but I knew it was what I needed to do to keep um, being involved in my FFA and 4-H activity. So I did what I had to do. Um, and then in January of 2020, or was that? Yeah, 2020. Um, I had a gastric emptying study that revealed that I have gastroparesis, which is partial paralysis of the stomach. Um, and so we tried all of the known medications for that, uh, nothing worked by that time I was losing even more weight. And so in May of that year, which is when all the uh, COVID shutdowns were happening, I had a pig line place and the pig line is basically like a really big per permanent IV that goes usually in your upper arm. Um, and it's kind of like a catheter that reaches all the way to your heart. And that's how you get nutrition. Uh, so I started getting IV nutrition and fluids for 24 hours a day. Uh, we went to the Mayo Clinic to see their GI specialty clinic. Um, and that didn't give us much answers. And then we came back to that. I got my first nasal feeding tube. Um, that was, it was very obvious. It came out of my nose and I had tape all over the right side of my face. Um, and then a backpack that I carried around with me all the time. Um, and so that was very difficult at first. Um, I actually went to the Red Angus State Show about four or five days after I got my feeding tube. So I was still adjusting to it. My parents thought it was a horrible idea. Um, and in a lot of ways they were right because I was, it was a mess trying to deal with that at a cattle show. Uh, but I was insistent that I wanted to go. And so we went um, and we made it work. And so that was really kind of the, just the grounding that I needed to be surrounded by people who love me no, no matter what. and who still cheered me on in the ring who still wanted to see me succeed even though I was facing this um and so then in August of that year that is when I got um actually no it was the following year I think August of that year I get it all mixed up um there's just there's been a lot going on um I think I had to get another pick line placed in my other arm and then I was still receiving IV nutrition yeah that was my sophomore year and then in November of that year, we were kind of a dead, at a dead end and we didn't know what else to try. So we tried a round of IV steroids uh, because we sus suspected the whole time this is an autoimmune disease and steroids usually help those. And so that ended up helping uh, more than we could have ever hoped for. I was able to stop my uh, tube feedings completely. Um, I no longer need IV nutrition. I was able to eat a normal diet and maintain my weight. And we were like, okay, this is great, this is the answer. Um, and then we realized quickly that we had to taper that dose because long-term steroids have some pretty bad side effects, um, which we were starting to see. And so we started tapering the steroids and my symptoms all came back. So um, I had to get another pick line placed um, and a, I believe I got, I don't, I didn't get another nasal feeding tube. Uh, I think it was just pick line during that time. Um, and I was receiving IV nutrition again and then in August of 2021, um, that was after a very busy summer, um, I got a, um, my first permanent feeding tube placed. So it went directly into my stomach instead of through my nose. Um, so it allowed for easier access. Um, and at that time, I, ha I also had a chest port placed so I could receive um, IV fluids and nutrition if needed through that port in my chest. Um, and so I lived with that for a few months. And at that time, I was starting to improve. We had switched to a gluten and dairy-free diet to try to heal my gut some. That seemed to be helping uh, because after 
about a year or so on these very harsh chemically processed um, feeding tube formulas, my gut was not in great shape. So we decided to kind of tackle that and it seemed to help. So I was once again able to get off of the tube feedings and IV nutrition. Um, and since then I've been doing better overall. I have had um, a few setbacks. Every time I try to taper my dose of steroids, uh, everything seems to flare up again. Uh, which is kind of where I'm at right now. We're trying to see a new rheumatologist, uh, get a few more diagnoses figured out. Right now, I'm diagnosed with gastroparesis, uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which means that I'm very flexible and stretchy. If I could set my phone down, I'd show you. It's um, I can bend my fingers into all sorts of weird shapes, and um, that also affects uh, a lot of joints. Uh, so I have a lot of joint pain, fat, muscle pain. Um, I pop my hip out of place pretty much every week. Um, and then I also have mast cell activation syndrome, which means my body is very sensitive uh, to any uh, smells in the air or foods that my body does not agree with. I can have reactions anytime to that. And then I also have dysautonomia, uh, which is kind of a blood pressure dysregulation issue. So I'm very sensitive to uh, very cold temperatures and very hot temperatures or prolonged exercise. Um, so those are all things that I've kind of learned just to adapt to as they come. And at this point, uh, I actually had an appointment this morning with uh, my new rheumatologist. And she was like, okay, great news. There was a set of labs that had come back normal. And it's kind of funny because at this point, a, a normal set of labs is not really what we're looking for because we know there's something wrong and we're just, we're so desperate for answers. Um, and it's, it's just weird how this has really altered my view of life in general because um, it's no longer about hoping for the best possible outcome, which is, of course, like I, I want the best possible outcome, uh, but it's more about kind of what I can work with at the time um, and the, just the struggles that God has given me to overcome. And so obviously throughout all of this, I've had some um, pretty bad emotional and mental struggles, just alone having to survive off a liquid diet and having a feeding tube coming out of my nose. Uh, that was hard. And it was kind of at that point, I felt like I had hit rock bottom. I didn't, I didn't have any energy to interact with my friends. Um, I didn't have the nutritional status to do much other than sleep. Um, and so at that point, it was really when I turned to my faith. And I was very angry and bitter about it for a long time. For the first few months, I was like, why? Why did this happen to me? Like, I, I have so much to look forward to. I want to play sports. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to show cattle. Um, and I, I didn't realize for at the time, uh, what it was and it's a blessing and it's one of my biggest blessings, probably my biggest blessing. Um, if I had to guess, uh, just seeing the way that God has taken this and turned it into such a positive for me, uh, because that was not me that did it. It was God's grace working through me. And I will always believe that. Um, and there's, there's a kind of joy that comes from having good things happen to you. And then there's a kind of joy that comes from finding God in the darkest moments. And I believe that's a lesson that I will always carry with me. And through my leadership positions in FFA, that's something that I always try to convey that we can have the most desperate downtrodden story, but a hard story is not the end of story. There is still a story there and God can still work through that story. And so my leadership philosophy has kind of turned into uh, our journey to joy who can help us on our journey to joy? How do we get there? What steps do we take? How is God working through us in this time? Um, and it's just, it's crazy to see how he works because when we take a moment, uh, put the phones down, put, get off of social media and just sit, read the Bible, pray, meditate on the blessings he's given us. It is just incredible. Um, and I know that I don't do it nearly enough because if we, if we all devoted our entire lives completely to God, it would just be miraculous to see how he works. Because I see it whenever I devote five or 10 minutes of time to him a day or in the mornings before I get my day started, the whole day just takes on a completely different tone. Um, and so that's really what I tried to focus on uh, during the worst days is just having this, this peace, knowing that he is steering the ship and I can't change that. And I don't want to change it. His plans are so much better than any plans that I will ever have. Um, and I, I actually wrote something recently kind of regarding this about how healing is not supposed to be a part of everyone's story, at least not when we want it to be. I don't know if I'll ever be healed completely on in this life. Um, obviously I want to be, and that's kind of part of the plan that I have for myself, but that may not be part of his plan. That's okay. 
because he's gonna make something out of that that's really, really good and more beautiful than I could make out of it. Um, and so through all of that, FFA and 4-H were just my bright spots. Um, they were the things I could turn to. I could go to those events and I could be a normal kid. I wasn't the sick kid. I wasn't the patient. Um, I was a normal kid who was competing and creed speaking or whatever it was. Um, and those people just embraced me as I was um, and allowed me to struggle alongside of them. And that is, it was just such a huge blessing. Um, and I will forever be indebted to these organizations uh, for just taking who I was, the broken side, the messy side, uh, the side of me that didn't know what to do and turning it into a hopeful leader. Um, and so that was very long-winded. It's a very long story. Uh, I tried to summarize it as best as I could. Uh, that's kind of the, the wrap-up story of it all. I'm just, I'm glad that you had that light shining down on you from the Lord, like even though it's like such a time of darkness as you're speaking and you mentioned like how you use your leadership to help people find their journey to joy. I was trying, we talked about it at church camp and I was over here like trying to pay attention, but I was like, I have to find this word because our youth pastor at church camp, we talked, he talked about I can't remember if it was like the whole week or for one night about how there's a difference between happiness and there's a difference between joy. And he used one of the, you know what I mean? Like one of those Greek or Latin words that they bring up, mm -hmm. our pastors bring up and connect it to what we're doing now. Unfortunately, I couldn't find it, but uh, now I'm, it's on top of my to-do list. But I'm just glad that like, even despite all these negatives, you managed to find the positive and you said something like it was we don't like our we can have a what was it about how we get like happiness from the good times but like in the end you will realize that even though that moment was like such a struggle for us there's been so much joy and so much gladness and gratefulness that's come out of it and I love your perspective on what you've been dealt with because I know that there's so many people who are so angry with the cards that have been dealt for them. And I know that your story is going to inspire so many who may be going through the same thing as you yet, but kind of having the different emotions. And so I think that's so important, just your perspective on life in general. Yeah, thank you for saying that. That means a lot. And my view um, has always been, or at least for um, since I kind of found God's presence through this, is that if I can turn this into something good and use it to help others who are struggling, then it will make it more than worth it. Um, because if I don't do anything about it, it's just, it's there. And it, it can easily be turned into a negative if it's just stagnant. But if I actively use that for something good, if I actively use it to teach others and to inspire others and to help others, that makes it powerful and that gives it meaning. And that means that it wasn't worthless um, because I will, I refuse to let this become something worthless. Uh, all of the, the pain that came with that emotional and physical, I don't want that to be turned into nothing. And I, I don't believe God will let it turn into nothing. Um, and that's another thing I've seen is that if we let him take control and kind of let go of that need, because that's something that I'm bad about. I'm a planner. I'm a preparer. I make lists 24 seven. I want to know what's going on, when it's going on, uh, who's going to be there. And so that's kind of been the hardest part for me is just uh, relinquishing that control and really letting him take the reins on this. Um, because there were a lot of times when I was, I was scared for my life. I was, I wasn't sure what tomorrow was going to bring. Um, I had a pericardial effusion at one time, which means fluid around my heart, um, which can turn into a very scary situation very quickly. Um, it was, too dangerous to like tap the fluid to release it. So we just kind of watched it and let it sit. That was scary. I had blood clots after I had one of my pick lines placed that got infected. Um, I had sepsis at one point. Um, and then I had a um, adrenal crash after a surgery uh, when I wasn't pre-dosed with enough steroids. So all of those things, it was just in those really terrifying moments after the storm kind of passed. Then, and I think there's a Bible verse that talks about this, like God doesn't come in the storm. He's not, he's not the loud one in the storm. It's the quiet voice after the storm. That's when you hear him. And that's when I've heard him the most is when I let myself calm down and really think about what is he teaching me through this and how can I use this to teach others? Um, and so it's been a learning experience more than anything. It's turned me into a student again, um, which is another part of being a lifelong learner. We're always going to be a student of each other and especially of God. And I hope that I can always be just a very respect receptive student to him.
<laughs> Sorry, someone was coming through the door. I, I love what you say about like being a lifelong le learner. Sometimes when people say stuff on here, I don't know what to say except just to nod my head and be like, I, <laughs> I wholeheartedly yeah. agree. And going back to what you said earlier about how like the FFA and 4-H, it like helped you feel like a person again, like not just a patient or the sick girl. And I think that every time we zip up our jackets, we're a part of something. No one knows your background. They don't know what's going on at home or how, whether your life's perfect or not, they don't know your social status. You, like all these things that when we're walking around school seem to matter, don't anymore. And I'm glad that you've been able to see that in your own story. And I just know it's inspiring so many others as well. So I have one last question for you. And that is you basically, you've just experienced a whole lot of life in your 17 years, the good, the bad, the ugly, and yet you've chosen joy despite the cards you've been dealt with. Where do you think all these moments have helped you, helped you to have the most growth? So these moments, uh, each of them individually have provided so much growth that it's kind of hard to contemplate just from going from um, a typical high school freshman um, who was focused on volleyball games, basketball games, judging contests, where we're going to eat after the judging contest, all of those great things um, into something deeper. Um, I think it's turned me more of a little bit, I used to be very extroverted, which I still think I am. Um, I, I thrived off of social interaction, um, and my cup was easily filled by being around others. And through this journey of having my energy depleted most days and kind of running off of very little steam and still having to interact as a normal person through all of that, um, it's kind of taught me more about just the beauty of sitting in quiet by myself and kind of being a little bit more, more introverted at times and recharging by myself. Um, and the power that I can have to give that gift to myself instead of bringing myself out and forcing myself to be the bubbly, extroverted, super social person that I was before I got sick. Uh, because for a long time, I tried to put myself back into the box that I was in before I got sick. Um, and I realized that that's not possible and it's not reasonable uh, because God uses to change me for a reason. And I used to say, you know, don't let, don't let your circumstances define you. Don't let your struggles change you. And then I realized that's, that's the whole point of them. They're supposed to change you. He, you're not letting him accomplish anything in you if they're not changing you, uh, but not, not changing you to be bitter or angry about it, but changing you to be a better person and to use what you learned um, to bring the glory to him. And there are times when I still struggle with that a lot, especially um, on days when the answers still aren't there, the medications still aren't working and it feels like all is lost. So that's when he steps in the most. And that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned um because he we can't let him show up if we're constantly making ourselves be comfortable if we're keeping ourselves in this kind of zone of safety that we created he works outside of that and it takes a lot of courage to step out of that uh but he he gives that courage so freely um and it's such a beautiful thing to witness and so I feel like the most growth has come out of this traumatic experience and I would have never guessed it um but just in my interactions with doctors being an advocate for myself um finding new doctors on the ones I had uh, weren't working for me in the way that I wanted them to. Um, and I, honestly, I think that's where my FFA and 4-H uh, kind of experiences really stepped up for me. Just uh, the ability to speak and hold a conversation with adults who I look up to and respect very much um, was a huge game changer because I think there were a lot of things that would have turned out differently if I hadn't had the ability to speak up to these adults who had obviously a lot more training than I did, uh, but that didn't mean that they knew more about me than I did. Um, and just that ability to respectfully communicate um, and let my voice be heard um, in a respectful manner. That was a huge deal. And then just the, the courage and the tenacity and the perseverance that comes from raising livestock for all these years. Um, any livestock kid will know what it takes to do that. Um, and it's not easy. And so I think that really gave me the perseverance to keep pushing, uh, even on the days when I really didn't want to. Uh, there were a lot of times when I was in the hospital the day before a judging event or a show and I would nag those doctors all day long I would say you know I have to, I have to be at this thing tomorrow like there's like I have to be there I can't miss this and it was funny kind of seeing all of their different interpretations about it 
um, I was explaining to one of them what creed speaking was because I had I had my area contest the next day. Um, and so by like two o'clock that afternoon, the whole floor was talking about how patient room 17 has to be at her debate contest the next day. And so she had to get released. And it was just, it's funny, but it, I feel like in those moments too, I was able to kind of advocate for FFA and 4-H and let them know that this meant so much to me that I wanted to be released from the hospital to go to that thing. Um, and I think that's something we can all do. We can use our experiences to advocate for the industry and the organizations that we love so much. Um, and they've just been a lifesaver for me in so many ways. Um, like you said, letting me feel like that normal person again and giving me a place uh, to struggle and grow at the same time. And that's what I think so many kids get out of these organizations because when we take the time to really sit down and listen, we realize that everyone struggles with something, um, whether it be health issues like me, family issues, financial issues, um, mental health, social status, anything like that, we all have something to deal with. Um, and it's not, it's not always easy, it rarely, rarely is easy. Uh, but kind of showing others how God has worked through me and showing them how he can work through them too. Um, that's the most growth I think I've had, just coming to that realization and being able to have that wisdom to say, this is not the end. Um, that's been a huge deal. Well, I just love talking with you today and just hearing your story from, like I said, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's, it's so impactful getting to hear these different stories all the time whenever I talk with different people because we all go through different seasons and every chapter of our life is different and what may be someone's normal isn't someone else's. And so I'm very grateful for this, for what you've been able to share today. And I encourage you on the best of luck on whatever you have going for you forward. And I just know you're going to do great at it. Thank you for sharing so many like what I, I love to say, notable quotables. You have so many notable quotables. So I'm sure we'll see you on like a Wisdom Wednesday or Motivation Monday <laughs> in the future. But just thank you for sharing that. And I'm very grateful for what you've been able to, you've inspired me and I know you'll inspire so many others. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Sydney. And thank you so much for doing this podcast. I love it. And I know you're going to be a world changer. You have the best heart I can just tell from our conversation. I am so excited to cheer you on in everything you do. So thank you. Thank you. It's nice to talk to you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.